Hello, and welcome to Living Heritage, a show about the people engaged in the heritage and culture sector, all those who keep our heritage alive at the local level. I'm Dale Jarvis, and today's guest is Tyler Stapleton. Tyler is a 24-year-old nautical science graduate from the Marine Institute, and when not navigating the North Atlantic, he is actively restoring his 1882 registered heritage structure in downtown St. John's. Tyler, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm delighted you're here, and, and it's, uh, it's great to be able to chat about one of our projects, our ongoing projects. So maybe to start off with, uh, maybe we'll start with the, the house itself, uh, the Sims house. Yes. Um, what's, what's the background of the, the house, 1882? 1882, like you said, uh, that's the closest build date that I can approximate from various land deeds. The land was purchased by a fellow George Taylor in 1882, what was once called the Lazy Bank, now Pleasant Street. And he bought 32 feet of land by 200 feet and built himself a fine dwelling house. Yeah. And uh, it's been there 136 years and still going. So now uh, that area was la- the Lazy Bank, Lazy Bank. Uh, what kind of neighborhood was that? Well, it's, a, it's an interesting one. Lots of stories to be read in the in the Evening Telegram. Yeah. In the 1880s and 1890s, there's different articles about the night, ser- the night air being loaded with miasma and poison on the street and <laughs> public drunkenness and gambling despite being no pubs in that area. Yeah. Uh, a lot of industrial work on the go with, you know, boot factories and nail foundries and lumber yards and dock yards and gas works and, of course, cooperages. Yeah. So, yeah, it really was kind of a working class area. So the, the Horwoods Lumber Yard would have been down kind of at the bottom of the street. And, and you, you mentioned the nail foundry, which was in the same kind of neighborhood. Kind of on Hamilton Avenue area there, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, at, at the time when this house was was constructed, uh, what what kind of dwelling places were, were in that that neighborhood? Well, as far as what I can tell from the various insurance atlases that's in the city archives, um, the houses were, were pretty spaced apart. Um, this would be before the Great Fire. And like I said, in the 1880 atlas, uh, amended to 89, this house on Pleasant Street, Sims House, shows up for the first time. And the houses across the street are all detached. And um, in the updated atlas since then, uh, those houses are then joined together, presumably after the Great Fire and housing crisis. Um, so it's pretty well detached, or excuse me, attached houses on the other side of the street. And uh, my house, Sims House, is pretty well the only detached house. So it kind of stands out in that regard yeah. with the, uh, the the level of the high-ranking uh, residents, I guess, that, yeah, yeah. that live there. Yeah, and it's quite, a, it's, a, it's a big house. Like it's uh, it's three stories with a full, a full, full basement. basement. Yeah. yeah. What are, the, what are the floor heights? They're about eight and a half feet, so yeah. it's not, not huge for that time period. I mean, there's houses with 10 and 12 foot ceilings. Uh, so this is, you know, I guess a little bit higher than average, but not, not extreme by no means. One of, the, one of the interesting things when I walked through the house with you a little while ago, um, the floor plan is a little unusual for what you might see. Like, uh, I have a row house in downtown St. John's, and it's that typical, you, you come in and there's a, a, a side hall and stairs that go up and then rooms off to the side. But your yours, the, the floor plan is shifted. Yeah, exactly. The, these... Houses, like you say, with a hall on the side with all the rooms on the left or, or rooms on the right. Um, this house is almost turned 90 degrees so that the front door, you could call it, is actually on the side and the main hall runs across the back of the house. And what this creates is the rooms that would be on the side are now actually on the front. And they have uh, these nice bay windows, one bay per each 
for each room that extend the full three stories, including the basement. So yeah, it lets a nice bit of light in there in the summertime, and that so is a is a is a kind of a quirky looking house, but it's it's interesting. Mansard roof on the third floor with the central dormer, so it's kind of a Southcott inspired uh, design. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I. It's rare to see a basement with two big bay, bay windows. windows. Yeah, <laughs> it, it again, is like a, a stone foundation. Again, like you know, kind of eight foot, seven and a half, eight foot basement stone foundation all the way around with these really big bay windows in the basement. But that's where the kitchen was located. Right. Um, right up until I bought the house there about two years ago. Yeah. And um, there was uh, an old range there. Not when I bought it, but that's where the location was. Um, you know, so the range was down there, the kitchen was down there, and that's where the servants would cook up the meals and bring them upstairs to the dining room for the for the, the folks living up there. And this third floor flat was assumedly where the servants lived. Right, yeah. So the, the main floor, the first floor, it, it's this big uh, kind of double room. There would have been originally pocket doors that yes. would have separated it. Yes. Yeah. Your neighbors, you said, had, had a similar layout yes. uh, in terms of that, that pocket door separating. Exactly. Yeah. Now, their house is more the traditional, I guess, hall to one side, and yeah. then the two large rooms off to the left, and they have this, you know, these large probably eight foot pocket doors that separate the two spaces so yeah i unfortunately don't have the pocket doors but the location is still there and the trims are still there so yeah yeah so uh what what do you know about the early history of the house and its occupants uh like the earliest i can trace back is 1882 uh, a draper george taylor first bought the land and took out a mortgage which is another interesting story edwin duder who uh, was responsible for one-third of the Newfoundland Savings Bank debt in 1894, which eventually led to the bank crash. He loaned this fellow, George Taylor, $2,000 for the construction of this house. And uh, after it was built, it was sold three or four times for owners that only had it for a few years. But the, the what I'll call the main occupant was Henry V. Sims, who purchased the house in 1902. Yeah. And he operated a cooperage out of what was once the stable house in the, uh, in the backyard. Right. So this was a building that was uh, located in behind the building. The, the the foundation of the building is still there? The foundation of the building is still there, and the laneway is still there, which is currently the driveway. Um, extends up to the backyard where a uh, once two-story structure existed. And the one-story part of this building uh, goes over the boundary and is actually now the next-door neighbor's garage, you could say. So right. So there's still traces of the old building and the old industry still there. Yeah. yeah so he And so he had a cooperage business. He did, yeah. Yeah, okay. What, what do you know about him? Well, Henry V. Sims was a pretty prominent person in the community. Uh, he was not only a cooper, but a master cooper. He was also the vice president of the Coopers Association uh, in St. John's. And cooperages and coopers in that trade back in the 1880s and 1870s were some of the, the largest sector of the industrial uh, workers, I guess you could say, in St. John's at that time. Something like 30% of all industrial wow. workers were employed through the cooperage trade. I had no idea that that yeah, was... Exactly. So to be the vice president of this organization, you'd have to be a pretty prominent individual. But yeah. And I guess through his standing in this, he also became uh, kind of the guys in charge of the west end of the city for the prohibition movement and temperance and that kind of thing. And he donated money to the Belvedere Orphanage and the, the Christian Brothers and the Airplane Fund, the Women's Patriotic Association through the war and all this kind of stuff. So Yeah. And how did you track down all this information? I used the uh, Memorial University's DAI and I really searched his name, Henry V. Sims. I used Pleasant Street. I've used Lazy Bank. So lots of uh, shooting lots of arrows in the dark and see what it brings <laughs> up but there's yeah. a lot of interesting stories out there for sure yeah and now how did you get interested in in kind of this this history and 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 the building like uh how did you how did you get into this project 
Yeah, you, you never know where you're going to end up when you start, do you? <laughs> no. but, uh, well, I guess well, when I was small, me and my father used to travel all over Newfoundland, you know, on summer vacations. We'd love looking at the old houses and the scenery and the outport communities and that kind of thing. I'd never ever be the one to go down to Florida and Disneyland. I still haven't been there. Um, but then that all kind of came to a head with the, the demolition of the house there on Winter Avenue, Quinnipiac. Oh, yeah. And <clears throat> by then I was... I think I was close to graduating or had already graduated from Marine Institute and, you know, good job prospects were on the lines. And I said, well, if I'm going to be complaining about people tearing down these old houses and not looking after these old houses, well, maybe I should do something about it too. So that's when I, I kind of got the urge to say, look, I can actually do something about this. So yeah, this is where I am now. <laughs> and w was it the first house you looked at and fell in love with or did you look at a pile of houses? Uh, no, I had actually looked at a couple, um, but this one was... It, it stood out to me for it being detached and it was on a large piece of land and all those, you know, what are still good good points for buying houses today, what, you know, or buy words for a quality house. It's only after I purchased the house and I started doing re research, well, what do I hear, have here on my hands? And I went through the deeds registry and looked at the land records and seen how old the house was and who owned it and who they're involved with that, wow, this is some really some really cool stuff I got on my hands. So yeah, then yeah. I got in touch with the Heritage Foundation and sort of Jigs and Reel is now designated. Yeah, yeah, congratulations Thank on you. that. Yeah, Thank it's, you. It's, it's exciting. And you know, we don't, we don't designate a lot of buildings in St. John's. You know, we're always looking for things that are kind of unique, that have an interesting story, that have an interesting architectural mm -hmm. history, you know? Yeah, I first got in touch with Jerry Dick <coughs> there at the Heritage Foundation and he actually came through the house to look at some of the plaster work and stuff. And I asked him about designation. And his first thing was, oh, well, there's a lot of houses designated St. John's, and it, it might not be that hopeful, so don't get your, your hopes up. But then I kind of said, oh, well, wait now, and I'll tell you all this. Right. So I gave him the spiel about the Cooperages and the people who lived there and the whole industrial era and area, excuse me, and, and he lives up there on Hamilton Avenue, yeah. and he's a real big, he understands the whole the foundries and the industrial part of it, and that is an area of town that's kind of losing its its connection to the past where you you're losing the sense of it was a dirty part of town it was the industrial yep. there were factories and businesses and shops around it's just a mainly residential district now so yeah i mean when we when we think of kind of heritage in st john's we think a lot of uh like Circular Road and mm. Rennie's Mill Road, you know, and and maybe Gower Street exactly, you know, by yeah. the hotels and uh, yeah, we don't think of like down there in down the West that, End, down that poor <laughs> part of town, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But there are lots of stories down there. Lots of people. There's you know, there's been houses there like mine, 136 years old, and there's there, there's more than just that one around. And a lot of people don't know what they have. Yeah, you know, if you you live in any house anywhere, you know, go to the land deed, see who owned it, do some research, Google his name. You know, you might have something really really cool on your hands. And, and I'm curious, like, had you ever done any of that kind of historical research before? Just your your. Your regular high school projects, yeah, your, yeah, yeah, you know your heritage fairs and whatever else. And now here you are doing all this uh, historical yeah. research. I'm in pretty house. deep, but I'm loving <laughs> it. <laughs> um, so, do you have a favorite uh, kind of uh, story that you found out about the history of the house or the history of the people? Oh my, it's hard to pick one favorite. Yeah, there's there's so so many, but uh, I know one story, a lot of stories that a lot of people have connection with. Of course, is the Great War. Right. And a lot of people from all, all over Newfoundland. But in the start of the Great War, St. John's, the first 500, you know, everybody, anybody who knows anybody has some connection to the Great War. And um, there's a small part also to play at the structure on Sims House on Pleasant Street where the owner, Henry V. Sims, his two sons, or one son and one stepson, had signed up 
in 1918 to join up uh, but they had been turned down uh, for one reason one son was turned away because a case of seal finger so his finger was infected when he was at the ice hunting seals and and it's just it really brings in perspective the people who live there they're just they're average people they're you they're me they could be anybody you see on the street and they're it's the fabric of all the stories that link together like I mentioned that Henry Sims donated to Belvedere Orphanage and Belvedere Orphanage has since burnt down and you can't see it anymore the airplane fund the airplanes that I think there were four or five airplanes that people donated money to for to fight the war and and also I mentioned about the the gentleman Edwin Duder mm-hmm. who was a mortgagor for the original mortgage to build the house he ended up in debt seven hundred thousand dollars and pretty much caused the bank crash so the two Newfoundland banks no longer exist I don't want to say because of this guy but <laughs> yeah. you know read between the lines and, and, yeah. and all these little stories that you might not think one is really really important but together as a whole they all kind of knit the fabric of the house and the community and, and well Newfoundland as a whole So h- how long did the Sims family have the house? The Sims family bought the house in 1902 and uh, Henry Sims passed away in 1947 uh, from what I can understand, he passed it on to either his son or his grandson um, in 1947, and they maintained ownership until 1962, when it was sold uh, to the owners before before me, and they sold it for $6,300 in 1962, <laughs> and uh, so that was my well, 50 odd years ago, and and now I'm there and trying to get it back to 1882. So yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So uh, when you moved into the neighborhood, you were telling me there was a there was an older gentleman who lived next, next door, door, yeah, who who knew some of the history of the neighborhood, who has since passed on. I he guess. has, yeah, yeah. His name was uh, Mr. Melvin Ash, and he was uh, you couldn't get a nicer gentleman. Uh, after he had passed, I realized that the locals used to call him the Mayor of Pleasant Street. Oh, yeah. He was a guy who used to uh, really look out to everybody on the street. He used to keep tabs on everybody, keep an eye on everybody. If anybody needed anything, he'd be there to help. And so I really got to know this gentleman over the last two years of, of living next door to him. Mm. And uh, he can remember the old cooperage that was there. I don't think it was in operation as a cooperage at the time, but the structure was still there. And um, he can really remember the whole industrial um, slant that was on that neighborhood. He said there was a half a dozen places you could go within a five-minute walk to pick up a piece of two-by-four. Right. And now you have to drive on O'Leary Avenue or the west, you know, the east end somewhere, right? So is he really uh he told me a lot of stories about that area in his time when he bought his house in the 50s and um you know he was a part of that neighborhood for a very long time and it was a real shock with his passing but uh, i'm still keeping in touch with his family and and i'm hoping that they'll show me some pictures in the future yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Have, uh, have you found much in the way of photography and photographs of the building or i have seen some old photographs of the west end but they're long distance shots to kind of show the dockyard and the whole west end or the railway yard and that and you can pick out if you know what you're looking for um lazy bank road yeah what it was called and my house so there. we'll put that out there into the into the interwebs and if someone out there has some photos there of you go old, yeah. uh, old pleasant street yeah we'd love to we'd love to see him yeah so so you you purchased the house uh, when did you when did you buy the house 2015 yeah and tell me about the condition of the property when you when you went in okay well 2015 the house was perfectly livable there was you know family living there right up until then um, the kitchen was in the basement as I mentioned um, so what I wanted to do when I first bought the house was get the kitchen up out of the basement um, and put an extension on the back, uh, which I had done that. And through the work, I had to re 
I had to wire the kitchen, I had to plumb the kitchen, so I said, well, the bathroom was only close, so might as well re-plumb the bathroom. There was all cast iron pipes and stuff like that, and the old wiring, it wasn't nab and tube, there was evidence of nab and tube, but the wires were from the 60s, so bring it up to code, I might as well redo that too. And <laughs> you can see where some <laughs> little bit of more damage, yeah, yeah, and yeah. then the plaster work, which I thought was plaster, was actually a gyprock over plaster, so take off the gyprock, the plaster's all cracked up. So then you kind of got to take that out of it, and you see the damage that the electrician had to do uh, to run his wires, and then you see, oh, well, there's cellulose in the walls, but it's all settled down, so there's there's no insulation in the walls, so yeah. now I have to do that as well, right? So it was uh, it's an interesting progress. I'm into it a lot deeper than I thought I would. <laughs> yeah, I bet. But yeah. I'm really loving it because I'm finding out so much more about the house, the structure yeah. of the house and how it was built. And that. So you stripped out all that old broken plaster. Like, How much how much stuff did you cart away out of that oh house? Oh, my. I wish I had a dumpster when I started, <laughs> put it that way. Yeah. But uh, we're talking a lot about demolition and stuff here now, but you know, the two front rooms on the main floor, now they still have their, yeah. their plaster walls and these really nice plaster rosettes in the ceiling yeah, and plaster yeah, corners work, and stuff yeah. and I'm maintaining that yeah. the fireplaces and all this kind of thing but if it's just like a, a bare plaster wall to me there's no real you know historical or architectural significance in that and if I can do a justice to the building and strengthen it up and do some structural work and insulate then I can see that being I can take that out if that yeah. can go in the interest of hopefully making the building last longer but architectural elements that are hard to replace i don't know where i'm going to get some plaster work done if i ever had to replace it yeah maybe you would never get it done so that's the kind of stuff i'm really trying to save in the house yeah there's a really interesting uh over mantle in in i guess which would have been the parlor uh, yes. space really can you, can you describe it it's it's very <laughs> unusual it's yeah well it's on a on top of a mantle which is now painted white an arched mantle with a like a cast iron insert into it and on top of that is a I don't know what type of wood it is but it's a, an exposed wood it's not painted over yeah. uh, stained wood I guess uh, in the center there's a, a pretty square mirror maybe two feet by two feet and to the left and to the right of this are two portraits of two women uh, that are kind of dressed in robes and sprawled off on some very, yeah, um, very classical <laughs> yeah looking, classical yeah. looking type figure so yeah. I don't know who they are or why they're there but I'd love to know more about those people too <laughs> yeah it's really and they're behind and I, and I couldn't tell looking at them if they were painted on glass or if it's like an image behind glass really unusual a really yeah. unusual feature in the house yeah so if there's any art people out there would yeah like to, well. to give their two cents <laughs> on that and, and that uh, you you were telling me about a secret that you discovered oh yes yeah, yeah. you always want to try to find something when you're you're working on an old house you can't wait to find your your bag of old gold two dollar Queen Victoria coins. So I was I was up on a ladder in the in the living room, uh, doing some conservation work on the plaster, some plaster washers and stuff. And I just looked at across looked out across the top of this dusty mantletop, and you could see the old seams in the wood and how it was all put together. And I noticed one little square that the seams seemed to be a little bit wider than all the rest. And there seemed to be one little notch that was a little bit bigger than the seam. And I thought, maybe there's, there might be something there. I, I wonder what that is. <laughs> so I moved the ladder a little bit closer and got up closer and brushed off all the dust and stuck a little flat-top screwdriver in and wiggled it out. And, oh, wait, now there's a little piece of wood. It's actually free. Yeah. I can move it. So I took it out, and my mind started wandering. Oh, I wonder what could be here. I, I found the jackpot. There's, there's, and I, I popped it open, and there was a little wooden cubby hole secret, in the top secret, secret compartment. compartment. Yeah. And it was full. What was it full of? It was full of dust. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, 
yeah. I, I, my, my heart was stopping there for a second, but <laughs> that's uh, it's interesting anyway. Yeah. Now, you found something else uh, upstairs, I think, that uh, a gentleman had poked away at some yeah. point. Yeah, yeah that's, that's another interesting story. Yeah. In the, when we were taking down all the old board walls up on the third floor, again for this insulation work, um, I noticed in a little cubby over the door where it looked like there might have been either a transom window or a space for an air duct, uh, there was a little pocket between the two board walls and it seemed like there was a little box in there so I, I grabbed it and I took it out and it was a box of condoms <laughs> unopened Mantex I think they're called <laughs> box of condoms so that's uh, that's uh, interesting to let your mind wander about that I yes. wonder who was up there and someone had a secret at yeah. one point yeah it's great yeah um, a- anything else that you've kind of discovered as you've been, or, or things that you are uncertain about yet? I, I mean, I, we were we were we were in the basement, and we were we were wondering about uh, if maybe there had been another entrance to the building at one point. Uh, yeah. So we talked about earlier the basement having two bays, two bays on the front. Yeah. Uh, again, it's a full height basement. Uh, on the right, there are the three old, what looked like original wooden windows, but on the left there is a, a vinyl window, and. That's what I'm wondering if maybe there was a door there. Doorway, yeah. Because there's only one window and the two other sides of the bay window are boarded up with the old, you know, iron square nails and the old random size board. So I'm wondering if maybe there was a little doorway for the for um, deliveries to be dropping yeah. off for servants for the kitchen and for the running of the household. But yeah. that's one of the little stories that maybe you wouldn't know. Maybe I, I will find out when I get in there a little when deeper. There, yeah, yeah. Um, now, uh, some of the windows you've had to replace, and, and where have you been sourcing your, your replacement windows? Uh, my windows have come from Bonavista Workshop and Creative out in uh, Bonavista. Yeah. A guy out there named John Norman, who's actually the, the mayor out there now. Yeah. Uh, he's running a, a fine business and doing a great job of heritage restoration and preservation in the community out there. And, and through his work, they have a, a plant, I guess you could call it, that make these old wooden two-over-two windows with wooden sashes, wooden storms and um, all weather stripping. They have new, this modern weather stripping on the window that you can't see from the outside or the inside, so it looks 100% to the part. You'd never know that it's a new reconstruction, but yeah. it really, really does justice to the building. You know, when you walk up some of these older streets and you see a, a beautiful old house and there's vinyl windows in it versus a house that looks similar but it has the old wooden windows. Yeah. You know, it really, it's the eyes of the building and it can really set it off. Yeah, you. so wh- how many of those have, has Bonavista Creative made for you so far? They have about six there yeah. now, and most of those have gone into the new addition, which I easily could have put vinyl windows into right, it, but yeah. uh, I've put all new old windows, wooden windows in the addition, and also uh, through the work where I'm replacing the clapboard and the inside is stripped out on most of it, I can see where the windows that are there now are in their original openings, but the original opening size is different. So this kind of goes to show that these were replacement windows that maybe in the 30s, maybe the 40s, they were still making these two over two wooden windows, but they're a little bit smaller, but in the same place. So I've kind of taken the measurements to the old, bigger openings and uh, and gotten John at Bonavista to make me up some replacements there. Yeah, and your windows in the front of the building? Are, are th- I know you're leaving the kind of the front uh, towards the end of the project. That's, that's going to be the big job on the yeah. front. There's <laughs> yeah, and are, are those windows in good shape? Well, not really. Uh, some of the glass <laughs> is cracked and there's... Uh, a lot of them are are shut with with caulking, so they're unopenable. But uh, whether or not they're original or not, that remains to be kind of figured out. Uh, windows of that age, usually the glass is smaller pane, so you'll end up with a kind of a two pane over two pane. Yeah. 
type of setup but these are one pane over one one over one windows with a quite large pane so yeah. i'm wondering if maybe they're not original they or may have been replacements at some point yeah they're exactly. probably not 1882 windows but they yeah. could be old nonetheless right yeah. so that's i'm leaving that to the end of trying to get my mind across how i want to go about that with input again from the heritage foundation and stuff like that so yeah yeah that's it's it's a it's it was a, a lot of fun to walk through it with you know and i got in before you'd done all the spray foam yes. insulation so i got to see it kind of some of the rooms stripped right back to yes. the, the bare boards and stuff yeah, yeah which was always great fun yeah the way they built those old houses you'll you'll never ever see anything like it now in new construction like the old studs in the wall are a true you know three inch by four inch and the floor joists are full two or three inches thick and the floor boards are they're absolutely massive you wouldn't be able to buy anything like it now yeah and it was interesting to see uh how they had kind of framed out the mansard roof because you could see from the inside how they had kind of created these using multiple pieces of wood this curve yeah so it's like a it's a straight stud that's that's kind of leaned back on an angle which supports the roof uh, but the mansard curve you see on a lot mm -hmm. of these houses, uh, it's actually built out off of this straight piece. There's yeah. a little curved wedge at the top and a little curved wedge at the bottom. So the roof, mansard roof is almost near vertical at the top and then kind of kicks out on the bottom to create the eave. So I kind of really see that structure from inside where it's all stripped out. And uh, you won't really see a lot of that uh, if you don't do this, you know, real investigative strip it out type work. If you just leave it be, you're always kind of wondering, I wonder how that's built. Is it built right, you know? Yeah. But everything is as solid as a church. It kind of surprised you. It is a very solid building, yeah, yeah. yeah. And and there are a couple of, like, quirky little things that you found. There was one section where there was a window where they had cut out a semicircular piece, and you still don't know exactly why they had done that. Yeah, so at this main hallway, which actually runs across the back of the house where the stairwell is, is kind of this traditional layout where the stairs probably goes up 10 steps and there's a little landing and then another two or three that kind of comes back the other way. So under this landing is a bit of a lower lower headroom where there's a smaller door that you've seen uh, and there was a window there at one time, uh, probably a 60s or maybe even 50s replacement. So when we removed that and stripped it all out, one of the studs kind of had a curved portion cut out of it. Uh, so that 50% of the stud was gone. Yeah. That was still a very heavy stud, so there's, there's no structural issues there. But it, it might indicate that was there an old window that was round or an oval-shaped window? Hmm. Again, this is one of the things that you find out when, you're, when you peel back the layers that you wouldn't know if you just if you just don't touch it. Yeah, know. and without really good photographs, like you were saying, it's exactly. hard to know sometimes. Exactly. But, and I know there was, there was a bit of a mystery, like there seemed to be stovepipe holes everywhere yeah. that didn't really <laughs> seem so to make much sense. And In this yeah. house is, is three stories. There's, there's two fireplaces on either side of this house, so you would think, you know, four flues. But then there's, there's what I'd call random flue pipes sticking out of the side of these chimneys on the third floor. And in the old board walls, there was you know, uh, tin uh, flashing made up in a round circle to accept a, a stovepipe to run through. And, you know, stovepipe holes over the doors and through the bedrooms and what's now going to be the bathroom. Yeah, yeah. So it kind of makes you wonder, you know, what was there? Was there an old oil burner there or an old, you know, were they running the stovepipe all over the place to try to get more heat? But there's a lot of different quirks that you, you maybe won't really figure out, but yeah. it's part of the tale. Maybe to, to wrap up, I'll just ask you, the building has been designated as a registered heritage structure by the Heritage Foundation. What, what does that mean to you as a property owner to have that to have that recognition? That really means everything to me, really. When I started doing the work and I started putting the new old wood windows in and I knew the look I was going for, to have that designation from the Heritage Foundation really meant that 
what I'm doing is worth something. It's not just me in my own head liking what I'm doing. There's other people who appreciate this work and appreciate not only the work that I've done, but the work that the people built the house originally in 1882. And it really goes to show that the story behind that house, as small as you might think they are, all kind of interweave together to create something culturally valuable. I think that's a perfect note on which to end. Uh, <laughs> I couldn't have said that better, I think. Uh, and we're delighted with the work that you're, that you're doing on the property. Now, if someone out there happens to have an old photograph of, of Pleasant Street, uh, what's your email address? If someone wants to send you a photo or something? My email address is my name, Tyler underscore Stapleton at hotmail.com. All right. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you. I'm Dale Jarvis. You've been listening to Living Heritage, a production of CHMR Radio 93.5 in collaboration with the Intangible Cultural Heritage Office of the Heritage Foundation of Newfoundland and Labrador. Find us online at ichblog.ca or on iTunes. Our production assistant is Tara Barrett. We would love to know what you think of the show. Leave us a comment on the Living Heritage Podcast Facebook page or tweet us at HFNLCA. Thanks for listening.